what, what, few. So, hey, I I was meaning to tell you this. A friend of mine, Mike Lurvy, Michael Lurvy, one of my best friends from my youth, or as it was said, and my cousin Vinny, my youth, my youth. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, it's a great movie. It is a great movie. I love that movie. Love that movie. Judge Judge is played by Herman Munster. <laughs> That's right. And who was the female lead? She was so hot at one time. You know, Marissa Tomei, dude. Oh yeah, she's still hot. Yeah, she's still hot. Well, I don't mean I don't mean physically hot. Of course, she's still physically hot. I meant she was like the a the a girl in Hollywood for oh, a time. After that movie, for sure. Yeah, yeah, she was so good in that movie. But anyway, in my youth, Mike Lurvy was a really good friend of mine through junior high and high school, and he's become one of our most regular listeners. I want to, so I want to give a shout out to Mike. We really appreciate your support. Oh yeah, Mike. Appreciate he's your support. He sent me a series of sign-offs that he thought we might consider. So, oh, uh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this so, is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't want to talk about that now because I don't happen to have it in front of me. We, but we're going to do it at the end. We're yeah, well, I'll find it. Per- per- yeah. Per- yeah. Oh, good old Pervy Lurvy's uh, sign-offs right at the end here. <laughs> well, let's not call him Pervy Lurvy. He's actually quite a man of God, and it's funny because— Oh, he, man, I feel bad then. <laughs> yeah, you should. He and, I, uh, he and I didn't speak for—I mean, it was probably close to 25 to 30 years, not because we had any issue, you know, just life. Life just yeah, got in the just, way. Yeah, just apart from people. Yeah, basically once we went away to college, uh, he went to Central, I went to Michigan State— and, you know, at th- th- that point, things just got kind of cut off, and they just never reconnected. And then we reconnected. I don't even recall why. I think he reached out to me just out of the blue. We had a little conversation. We decided to meet for lunch one day. We met for lunch, and it was like three hours, and it was just a, it was wonderful. We caught up. And, and since that time, he's really become just a, a, a loyal listener, and I just want to give him a shout-out. He's a great guy. We didn't come here to talk about that. What we did come here to talk about, and in, in, in fact, I'm super excited to talk about this because of the personal connection that Unkfew has to the story. So I'm, I've been talking a lot, Brendan. I'm going to stop here in a second and let you carry the water for a while. But the setup to this is, and if you're if you're a listener to Unkfew, and if you are, we thank you for that sincerely. Uh, you know that uh, Brendan has mentioned a gentleman named James Altucher a number of times. I mean, literally, he's probably been the single most named person in the history of this podcast, just in terms of the number of times his name has been stated out loud. And the reason for that, which, yeah. which Brendan will elaborate on as we as we continue, is that Brendan, who works in New York City and has been had been traveling to New York City for several years before he got a job there and, and you know started working there, he befriended a gentleman uh, named James Altucher, and James is a very interesting character who uh, is an angel investor, uh, self-made millionaire, entrepreneur, blogger, podcaster, podcaster. chess yeah, he's, master. He's done a number of things. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's interesting because I actually wrote a blog post which is called "American Cities on Life Support: Will They Survive?" The reason I wrote that blog post is because of James, and we're going to talk about that. So I've said enough for the intro. Why don't you just add some additional color to your relationship with James, and then we're going to dive into the topic I just referenced. And the reason that I wrote this blog post is because James wrote a blog post, which is called New York City is Dead Forever. Here's why. He wrote that post, I don't know, maybe a week ago, and it has exploded. In fact, who did you say was reading the post? Um, Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's not the end of it. Because oh, it, it won't be. It's a, no. Yeah, it's a pretty fire post. And it's funny because James just talked about this recently. I wrote him an email this morning. 
because I saw Glenn Beck was reading it. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Because James wrote that article, and I remember reading it and going, wow, this is spicy. Like, James is really – because I – you know, I get – we – you know, I'm friends with him on Facebook. We talk on LinkedIn and stuff. He's um, he's the first thing I can say. I the first thing I want to say is I cannot say enough good things about how amazing of a guy James Altucher is. It it is not always the case that people who become very successful are good people. In fact, I think totally agree. There are depending on the kinds of types of people they are and run with. It's almost like the opposite is true. That like it can be. It's almost like there's some advantage to being like a cold-hearted person at you know at, at a successful level of society but James is truly the the I mean monumental exception to that rule because he is just the nicest guy he's so nice he's so sweet his wife is wonderful I'm friends with her um, I met all of I've met his kids I've been to his house um, he's got an amazing uh, or ha- still has but no longer living in an amazing apartment in New York in the Upper West Side you know, co-owner of this, of Stand Up New York, which is kind of how I originally connected with him. And um, me and my co-author, Bill Petit, of The Power Bible, who we just released that book this week, James wrote the foreword for the book. So we, we, have, a, we, have, a, we have a rather close relationship. And, um, you know, like I said, he's, he's, just a, he's just a spectacular guy. And it's interesting to me because he loves New York, like, so much. He's a New yep. York dude. He, he talked to me constantly about coming to New York. He's like, you got to be here. You got to come here. He was a big influence on me for leaving Chicago to head to New York. And he writes this article just about why New York is dead. It's interesting because the one rule he has about writing is he never hits publish until he feels scared about what's going to happen when he hits publish. Like if he thinks that he's not doing anything that's true enough or vulnerable enough or rocking the boat enough and not in a way where he's like, oh, this is going to piss some people off. But just in a way that he's like, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. Like if it's he wants it to be unsafe, he thinks that writing should be unsafe. And he said that when he wrote this article, his goal for writing it was just to be as vulnerable as possible in terms of his feelings about what's happening in New York right now. He had no political agenda. He had, he just was like, here's exactly how I feel about this. And it's interesting because it's a testament to how that kind of writing can really resonate with people because it it really did. I mean, basically the concept behind it for the audience is just, and you should go look at, look at this yourself. My uncle's blog post references many parts of this article, but the gist of it is basically that New York will never be the same due to coronavirus. It's not like it's going to bounce back and recover. It's not like it, like 9-11. It's not like the 2008 crisis. It represents a permanent change in the way that New York is going to exist in the world. And I think, as you do in your article, in your blog post, you can extrapolate that to every major American city, potentially every major world city. Yeah, oh, really well said, all of that. And I think it's awesome that you have that relationship with him and that you know, you've know you cultivated over years like I know you have. When I saw this post, I, it literally, I was just, you know, it just hit me like electricity because a number of friends of mine who live in, you know, all over America had randomly posted this blog post, the one again that we would keep referencing, which again is called New York City is Dead Forever, Here's why. And it's just powerful because he's a great writer. He's a great storyteller. And in the blog post that I wrote, I included a whole bunch of references to things he said. And I just want to read the intro to this blog post because I think it's so powerful. If you just read the intro, you could almost stop because he he makes kind of like 80% of his point 
right there, but I'll read it real fast. I love New York City. When I first moved to New York City, it was a dream come true. Every corner was like a theater production happening right in front of me. So much personality, so many stories. Every subculture I loved was in NYC. I could play chess all day and night. I could go to comedy clubs. I could start any type of business. I could meet people. I had family, friends, opportunities. No matter what happened to me, NYC was a net I could fall on and bounce back up. Now, it's completely dead. But New York City always bounces back. No, not this time. But New York City is the center of the financial universe. Opportunities will flourish here again. Not this time. New York City has experienced worse. No, it hasn't. A Facebook group formed a few weeks ago that was for people who were planning a move and wanted others to talk to and ask advice from. Within two or three days, it had about 10,000 members. Every day, I see more and more posts. I've been in New York City forever, but I guess this time, I have to say goodbye. Every single day, I see these posts. I've been screenshotting them for my scrapbook. And the, this post, is the post he wrote, is fairly long. And I found it to be one of the easiest to read things I've ever read because he weaves such a great story. He gives really solid reasons why he thinks New York City really is dead. So it's funny because Brennan and I had agreed to do a podcast this morning. And as usual, we didn't have a topic. I had written this blog post, which Brennan had not seen. Brennan then just randomly texted me a link to Glenn Beck reading the exact blog post that we're now talking about. So Brenda didn't know I'd written this post. He sent me that text right before we started this podcast, and I said, you're not going to believe this, but I've written a blog about James's blog, the one that you're referencing right here. So this all happened literally within like 15 yeah. to 20 well, minutes ago. So well, Once again, another example of, of, of uh, how you and Glenn Beck's lives uh, exactly. move in harmony together. Right. He is my <laughs> idol. I found just that alone kind of interesting that, you know, Brennan had no idea that I was writing about this and that this is what I really wanted he and I to talk about on a podcast, not necessarily today because I, you know, I wanted to give him time to read this, but he'd already read James's post, blah, blah, blah. So here we are. So as is such, so often the case on these podcasts, this is all kind of happening in real time. But so what I, and Brennan, you haven't even heard, Brennan hasn't even heard me say this yet. So what I want to talk about, Brennan, is sort of just your reaction to two things, James's post and my post, because what I did was I took what James had written and then I sort of added to it with my own thoughts. But I mean, Basically, what I'm saying is pretty much the same as James. I just took more time to do more research and provide links to, you know, these aren't my thoughts so much as they are a curation of a lot of other information. When I started writing my post, my goal was to either pr try to prove or disprove what James said. And in the end, in my opinion, I supported his position far more than I didn't. To give another, you know, kind of dimension and angle to this, if you are a, a loyal listener to the podcast, you know that Brendan for his age, has probably, you know, has lived in more major cities in the world than anyone I know. I mean, again, I don't mean to repeat crap that we've said so many times in the past, but, you know, New York, Chicago, Boulder, Paris multiple times. I'm sure I'm forgetting others. And, you know, so Brendan is unusually well-traveled for his age and, and has these experiences in these major global urban centers. Paris is Paris. New York is New York. Chicago, Chicago. I mean, these are just major destinations. And so you yep. have a perspective on city life that I don't know that many people have. And you've lived in small towns. So you have this really interesting set of experiences that, that I think is really cool. 
so with all that said, you know, what what are you, what were the first thoughts you had when you read James's post? Yeah, I before I even answer that, I do I just want to say one other thing about you mentioned James's writing, you were like it flows really easily. He's well, this was really one of the hallmarks of his writing, not to laud him too much, but I just want to mention this is that he's he writes in this fashion that it feels like like he's talking. Like the, it, yeah, like he's talking to you. And he write he really does write like he's talking. And he also has he has a unique ability. And one of the reasons I really respect him and like him is that he has the ability to talk to anybody. Like he he is at home. Like he could sit out and have a 45-minute conversation with the garbage man at his apartment and just be super nice and super respectful and talk to him exactly like he would be talking to you or me or a billionaire who, you know, I mean, he knows a lot of billionaires and has conversations with them in the same way that he would talk to the garbage man on the street. Like he's, that's awesome. He's just, a, he's a really cool. I mean, it's part of the reason I respect him so much and like him is that he just is, he's able to, you know, communicate in a, in a, a really respectful, really easy to understand fashion to like everybody he's speaking with. And, I think it just comes from the fact that he's just he's been broke so many times in his in his life. Like he's been he's been a multimillionaire and then he's been like completely destitute, like within uh, like a few years of each other. Wow. So, yeah. And he's just very open about that in a lot of his writing. So I think that that's where that comes from. But one of the points in your article is this uh, screenshot that you have from Connor Sen. I don't know who this guy is, but it's a screenshot that just his apartment rents are plunging in San Francisco, Seattle and New York. And he's citing another guy who's basically showing the 17 most expensive U.S. rental markets in July 2020. And their average median rental price versus a year ago. And so many of these are just dropping. Like like the city of San Francisco, first of all, the average rental price is $3,200 for a one-bedroom apartment, which is nuts. Uh, that's madness, but it's, believe it or not, it's actually like 14% down from its record from, high from its record high. And it's also and New York is even crazier. It's 15% down. And the craziest thing about this is you're looking at a July, 2020 median asking rental prices for a one bedroom at 2,800 in the city of New York. It's actually lower than that now. It's lower than that at this at the time of this recording, and I know that because I keep track of it. Well, yeah, because this it was July. August. This was July, so yeah, you know we're now. This was July, so this is now mm-hmm. August twenty second, and it's going to be even lower in two months because all of the NYU students that we're going to be back Aren't are coming back, going to officially not be there, and the rental market is just going to completely bottom out. And the frustrating thing about it, let me just from let me just drop my personal experience in here is. So I was renting an apart, a two bedroom uh, with another roommate in the East Village. That apartment was $3,500 a month Wow! between the two of us. And when I say it was a two bedroom, I mean, it was like two bedrooms and then one room, which was your kitchen, living, living room, room, dining, dining room, room, bathroom, a bath, <laughs> a bathroom that looked like it was from a, a fucking dorm. I mean, my, my college dorm had a nicer bathroom than this. Really? And... Yeah, and I had a I had a uh, I was living in Eastern Michigan University's Putnam dorms, and I had a shared bathroom with another dorm next door, and that bathroom was nicer than this one. And you know what I mean? We had mice. Like New York is the only place in the world where people show you an apartment, and they're like, you know, you're gonna have mice, and you're gonna have some cockroaches, but it's really not that bad. And right. you're like, mm, it's just expected. Nice. It's understood. Yeah. And so uh, I paid you know an outrageous amount of money living in that apartment, and. You know, basically in March, I left the city 
and so did my roommate. He headed back to Pennsylvania, where his parents are from. And that was after I saw almost everybody else on the whole block I was living on leave. Um, so I left later in the month compared to people who were, I mean, uh, I saw dozens of people leaving their apartments that whole week, the weeks leading up to me leaving. That's, that's actually what got kind of scary was I was like, shit, man, everybody's leaving. like, I was like, what do these people know that I don't know? You know, <laughs> like what is there like an extra level is like phase two of the coronavirus zombies or something like what? Like you get the blood clots and then you wake up and you have a taste for flesh. Like what is happening to, right. this, to this island? And that was at a point, you know, in March where like nobody knew anything about the coronavirus. It was like really scary. All we heard was ambulances all day long oh. because there was yeah, there was a there's a uh, hospital not far away from where I was living. And, uh, it was, it was just truly unnerving. And so I left within the last six weeks, I've watched other apartment values, including the apartment, including apartments in that building, the same exact apartment that we had go from $3,500 to $2,200 within like a six week period of time. It's $1,300 less. Yeah, it's like a 50% reduction. Yeah. There's just no demand. Yeah. There's no demand at all. It just it, it's just plummeting and it's still going down. That's the thing that's crazy about it is like if I keep looking, you know, Bill Petit, my co-author, I don't want to uh, knock on wood. I don't want to curse this, but he may be buying a two bedroom apartment in Williamsburg, which is like the premier, you know, neighborhood in Brooklyn for probably 350 K, something like that. What? That's like unheard of. Oh, yeah, that yeah. is. Even I know that. that that's completely unheard of. Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, as as you noted from what I wrote at the at the end of that blog post that I wrote, you know, real estate's crashing, and that a, a whole slew, uh, particularly at the highest end of the market, uh, recent sales have been at literally fifty percent of list price. That was one example. If you go, if you if you were to click through and read the actual article that I that I was that I'm quoting from there, they give all these examples. One example was a a. Um, I don't know what they're called in New York. I call it a walk-up. I mean, it was a thirty-six million it's brownstone, yeah, thirty-six million dollar list price that sold for eighteen million. That's an actual example. Oh, yeah. That's an actual, and there's a bunch. There's a bunch of other examples that the author gives of recent sales in New York. So yeah, real estate's crashing. But let's get back to the, uh, you know, to the to the more macro view of this in terms of your view of James's. And I appreciate your story because it just reinforces, you know, James' entire thrust. But, you know, is there anything that James said that you disagreed with or do you agree with pretty much all he said or what? Well, I basically I mean, I broadly agree with everything he said. I think that so New York City was in a bubble and it was in a bubble because there were massive amounts of moneyed interests and in people who just wanted to live there or buy property there or whatever. And part of that became self-reinforcing. So it was like, it was just easier to buy. Like if you're a Russian oligarch, you just buy buildings in New York city. It was a good place to keep your money um, because the property values were just going up because people were just moving there because that's where all the opportunities were moving. Yep. Now that, that rides a wave that is a trend that has been going on in the United States for about 20 something years. Or easily longer. since. Yeah. Or longer, but I would say maybe beginning in the 80s or 90s, but like there was this, there's a movement away from rural America 
and suburban America towards cities that has been happening for a really long time, that just the opportunities are just so heavily concentrated in these areas. Yep. You know, like something that we don't talk about, you know, having lived in, this is a place where like my unique experience I think is probably worth something here, is that having lived in major cities in Paris, um, I mean, even Boulder is not a major city, but it Kind of it, is. Ha- it is a it is a major tech city in the sense that there is a concentration of of intellectual capital and startups in that very small area. And, you know, New, New York, Chicago, having lived in these places like, uh, you know, David Frum said it actually himself in um, a book he wrote uh, some time ago. If you live in major city America in the last 30 years, you haven't seen the effects of uh, the economic Transi- transition that America's been going through. You d- you didn't feel the effects of the 2008 crisis unless you directly worked at like Lehman Brothers and lost your job. You you actually haven't really felt the effects of almost anything. Um, and I think that that's true. Like I I there are you know people who I work with in Chicago who after I got working at Vibes years ago, which was after the time that I was basically homeless and living in Northern Michigan. I I, I had felt the effects of the 2008 crisis because it took me. You know, nearly it prevented you from getting like, a job. Yeah, from for like a almost a decade. Like it was, it was a whole long time before I ever got a real, uh, real ass opportunity, right, to do something. And when I was in Chicago, the people who I met who worked at that company, who were, you know, in their maybe even early twenties, who grew up in that area, either Metro Chicago or in Chicago, had like no concept that that was. A thing, you know, like, yeah, like I would explain to them my story and the thing that it did. And this is relevant to the United States culturally. And this is something that you and I talked about previously a little bit is like it created this weird dual consciousness in the United States. Like, yep. where if I let's imagine that I was who I was and I wasn't as good at communicating and understanding how to like, you know, interface with people who are different than me as much as I do not to like pat myself on the back. But part of the reason I got that job was that I was able to explain in a way that they accepted why I wasn't ever really employed and didn't have like corporate work history on my resume. Right. And, and they bought it. They, and then I was able to work there and I was very successful at that company, which shows me a couple of things. One is it shows me that that's true and that can work. You don't have to work at a big company in order to get a job at a big company. Um, two, and be successful at it, two, their prejudices are preventing them from hiring people who don't fit the mold of the narrative that they think needs to, an employee needs to look like. Right. And so the reason I bring this up is like they, you know, if you had my story and you lived in like Northern Michigan and then finally you said, you know what, fuck this, I, I'm tired of working in this tiny town like Calava or Brethren, or Dublin Irons, or, you know, whatever, you name it, Bear Lake, um, Leelanau, Lake Leland, Michigan. I mean, there's cold water. There's like tons of these towns that are all over the place. And, you know, forget even Michigan. Let's say you're in Indiana, and you're like, yeah, I'm tired of living in Terre Haute. I need to I need to make something to myself. I don't make enough money here. There's not enough opportunity. I'm going to go to the, you know, Chicago. I'm going to go to the big city and try to make something happen. Well, good fucking luck. Even if you have a degree, the people who you're going to try to be competing against grew up in a situation where they had so much more opportunity and they fit the narrative that other people think they should fit in order to give them the opportunity. Right. And so 
that's that's basically what's happened with these cities in the last like 30 years. And it's become an increasing bubble like, you know, people like uh, Daniel Markovitz, who I've talked about on this podcast previously, he covers this in his myth of meritocracy book where he's like, the problem isn't that like you could have to you have to work if you're from let's say you're from Fort Wayne, Indiana or a Park Falls, Wisconsin, you have to work 10 times harder than people who uh, have had, who have also had to work. So let's not pretend like they haven't had to work, but they have not had to work in the same way that you have had to work in order to get the same opportunity that they've gotten. So it's like, I, I mean, it's crazy to think about because these people almost didn't even hire me at Vibes. And that would have been a major mistake because I like transformed the whole sales development thing in that organization. Part of it was because I was just so focused on doing it. But just to draw this back to the part about cities is it's like that dual consciousness was created because all of those opportunities got like basically hoarded within major cities. So paying the amount of money like uh, David Frum also talks about this in, in one of his books on America is that. It is actually worth the price to pay $3,500 a month for a two-bedroom in East Village, Manhattan, because you are meeting some of the most creative people on the planet, and there are nonstop opportunities around. I mean, James himself right. uh, always used to say um, – I mean, he says this – he talks about this in the article about how this has changed, but like he always used to say in the city of New York, you you can trip over opportunities walking down the street. Yep. Like people that. move to New York without a plan and work out fine because if you're if you're smart and hardworking, opportunities will find you because there's there's more ideas than people can take advantage of on in the island of Manhattan. It's just the case. Right. And and yeah, the network or, or that you can build is like unbelievable. Yeah. But the unfortunate truth is that coronavirus has basically ended that because people are not in the city of New York. They're not meeting people. There's no reason to be there because you can't network with anybody. Right. And the point, you know, some of the, the, the things that really stuck out to me from James's article, which I, you know, which I echoed and amplified in mine is there's, there's, there's a whole slew of factors and, you know, we don't really have time to go into all of them, I don't think. But the ones that really hit me the hardest were his points about the one that I thought maybe the thing that he articulated the best of all was, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm scrolling to find what I wrote specifically about what he wrote was the the broadband speed thing. He called it A B oh, yeah. and, or you know before broadband or after broadband, whatever. He, however, he phrased that the way he explained that, which was just so spot on, was you know there was a time not that long ago when the literal internet speeds were not fast enough. To simply support things like Zoom, you know, to have like a Zoom video conference call whenever you wanted. Well, now they are. And so that changes everything. And also, you know, hand in hand with that, you have these trends that have been developing, you know, completely independent of the corona thing. It was just it was just serendipity or the absence of serendipity, depending upon your perspective, that these these uh all these different jobs can now be done remotely because of other tools like like the one we're using right now, Skype. We're using Skype to, you know, I'm sitting in Plymouth, Michigan. Brent, I don't even know where you are. Well, I don't even know where the hell I'm you in are. Manistee. Yeah, okay. Manistee, Michigan. I didn't even know where he was. That's the truth. I thought he was in Chicago. So he's in Manistee, Michigan. I'm in Plymouth, Michigan. Didn't even know it. It doesn't matter because we're using these tools that make it irrelevant. In fact, well, we had uh, William Petit on this podcast. He was in Paris. And... You know, it just doesn't matter. And so 
you have you have tools like like Skype and Zoom and there's so many others. I mean, there's an infinite list of things that make co-working or not co-working, but just working. Oh yeah, from just, anywhere. Dude, Skype, Zoom, Slack. Slack I mean, was what I was it. couldn't think of. Yeah, and right. I mean, look, 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 right now, Brendan is his job is in New York, but he's been bouncing back and forth between Chicago and Manistee, where his parents live, uh, for the past couple of months. So it's like it doesn't matter where he is. So there's that as a second element. There's the broadband speed increase. There's all these tools that have arisen hand in hand with that. And then you have the fact that all these companies that were based in traditional settings, like Brendan's job, which was based and still is based in Manhattan, suddenly you got to figure out a way to work remotely. And oh, all, yeah. the, all the tools were already there. But you know how, you know how it is in, in life and in business. The tools can be there, but there's always some resistance. People, let's just keep doing it the way we've always done it. We, yeah, we know about those tools, but you know, we still want you to come into the office. We think you should be in the office. Everybody's or many people have lived through that type of a of a context. I know I have, and so so. But but the the virus forced people to put the theory that work could be done from anywhere to the test. They had to. They had to. They had to do it. And so what happened is people tried it and figured out. Oh my gosh. This works. This actually works. And oh my gosh, look at all the money we could save if we did this all the time. You can connect the See, rest. That's the big, that is the big next thing. Is yes. That it, it's been a little bit, but the big next thing is going to be the fact that companies, and it's not going to be because of people. It's going to be because companies are going to go, why do we have our headquarters in, the, in New York when we pay this much in taxes? And why don't we just move our headquarters to insert where the hell ever is the cheapest place to have your headquarters, exactly. period. Because it doesn't matter anymore. Like we're not going to have an office. Like maybe, maybe we're going to have an office, but nobody's going to come to it. So we're going to get the tiniest office we can get, and we'll say that that's our New York office, and then we'll move our headquarters to you know Terre Haute, Indiana, because the taxes are so good, and nobody has to move to Terre Haute because it doesn't matter. Nobody's coming to the office anyway for the next. Yeah. With a WHO says it's going to be. They think it's going to be two years now or whatever. I mean, who knows? But this is a, I think this is a permanent change into American business and just a business period. Like, I think people totally. will want to get back together. I mean, obviously, people enjoy occupying the same physical spaces together. I think the other thing people are discovering, and I know I, I'm, I, our company is noticing this, is that with everybody remote, it's like there's a lot of productivity that was just lost by being in a physical office, like commuting and uh, tiny conversations that happen when you're in the office and, you know, all this kind of shit where you're just like, this doesn't need to happen. Like you can just, you, the, the value of being home by yourself is you're like, I have zero commute time. So, you know, you, you don't have to, you don't, you can get more sleep. You can, you can take a break in the middle of the day and not have to, and actually decompress, not have to be in an office and look like you're busy. Like you could, there's, there's tons of advantages that come from this. And I think, and I think businesses are discovering that. Well, and you know, it's funny because this is obviously not a new thing and it's, it's ironic how things come full circle, but, um, I, I don't recall when this was, I want to say it was at least 10 years ago, at least 10 years ago, I was part of something called Mac Savvy Agent, which was a website that was started. I don't, I don't want to break the long version of the story. The super short version is it was, uh, related to a company called Inman News which is the number one real estate news portal was back then. It still is. And basically, I was invited to become a writer or a blogger for that website. And we talked about these exact same issues that we're talking about right now. 
And I recall I wrote a blog post that was about a book written by a guy named, I believe his name is Daniel Friedman, who's uh, kind of a famous dude. I don't, don't, he started, God, my memory is just so poor. He started a, um, a website which was sort of a precursor to Slack that was the, ah, my memory is so bad. I mean, it was a really big time, comp- I think it still is. Oh, Basecamp. You ever heard of Basecamp? No? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, yeah, so yeah. He, he, was, he was a founder or co-founder of Basecamp, which was, you know, one of yeah. the, like, it, it, it's sort it's of project, like... For everybody listening, it's a project management software that a lot of uh, software uh, agile teams use to, to organize their, their efforts. Right, and at one time, it was the number one tool of its kind. It isn't anymore. Yeah, it was like the standard, yeah. it was like the standard use. Yeah, it was the gold standard time. at one time. But, and then when I... What I'm, the time period I'm referencing, it was the number one thing. And he wrote a book, and it was called Rework. And I wrote a blog post about that book. And basically, here's, the, here's all you need to know from the book. I think this was actually the subtitle. The office is where you go to not get work done. That was his whole Dude, point. that's so fucking accurate. It is. <laughs> it is. And it's, it, and it, it's so funny because it, it, it's such a uh, philosophically for me personally – it lines up so well because I'm a, a person who works really well alone. I'm hyper productive when I'm alone. You put me in an office environment where people are talking. I'm easily distracted. If you know, I'm I'm easily distracted no matter what the environment. In a work environment, it's horrific. So uh, anyway, so I, all that is to say, and bringing this back on point, is that this stuff's been talked about for a long time, but the corona forced people to test it because they didn't have a choice. It's like, we got to make a way to, we got to find a way to make this work. How do we make this work? And then they, oh my gosh, look at these tools that are here. And then they start using them. They figure out they work. And then they figure out, oh my gosh, we can actually run a business like this. Not just in the short run, but like forever. So in the long run, it's all fine. Yeah. So if you are a corporate entity that's paying who who the hell knows what to have a physical office in Manhattan, I mean, you know, even for a really low-end situation, you're paying a fortune. I can't even imagine the cost of, like, you know, we have six floors of a famous building. You know, you're talking literally maybe millions of dollars a month in lease. And so if you can get rid of that cost or reduce it dramatically, as you said, I think what you just said I think is going to be really correct is that companies will, you know, they'll they'll downsize from, say, 10,000 square feet in Manhattan to, say, 400 or 600 square feet in Manhattan to have a little office space that, you know, has a couple of offices in it for either the CEO or for visiting people or whatever, that'll become the new norm. And, and so all the, all those spaces are just going to just all the places that had been previously leased, that's just going to shrink. And again, there's all these other reasons that James mentions in his article that I echo in mine, but I mean, there's job loss, you know, all these job losses from, you know, I don't even, I really don't know what the final number was, but the numbers that I heard thrown around at various times during the, the, the rise of the pandemic uh, were between 40 and 60 million people in America lost their jobs. So yep. if, and think about the concentration of jobs in major cities. So if those jobs are lost, where were they lost? And again, the stats that I quote in my, my uh, blog support the, you know, support what I'm saying here, which is that the vast majority of those jobs were lost in cities. Well, what happens when you lose jobs in cities? Well, that means typically you need less space. Those companies either went out of business, so they're just gone, or they downsized. So they need less space either way. 
And and then the, and then what happens when you have less businesses and less people in a city? Well, then you have less tax, uh, less of a tax base. What happens when you have less of a tax base? That means you get those, fewer city services. You get fewer city services. What happens when you get fewer city services? You have less things like let's forget the entire debate about police, but you have fewer police. And oh yeah, and I and, mean, and, and then you know, it, it, not just that. I mean, you get piled up garbage. You get, oh yeah, you get all kinds of shit. I mean, New York in the seventies is like the example where oh yeah, remember the that Bronx was literally falling apart because there wasn't enough city services to deal with this stuff. Right, the city had gone bankrupt. And, and then another thing that James said that I I concluded my blog post with because I thought it was the most powerful thing he said was um, he said this. New York City has never been locked down for five months, not in any pandemic, war, financial crisis, never. In the middle of the polio epidemic, when little kids, including my mother, were becoming paralyzed or dying, my mother ended up with a bad leg, New York City didn't go through this. And so that, what we just talked about, in terms of the technological evolution of things, the fact that companies were forced to try out all these tools, the fact that they figured out, oh my gosh, they work. Oh my gosh, we can work like this long term. Now add in that we've never been locked down for five months before. And people, you know, people got to get on with their lives. If they lost their jobs, they, they got to go somewhere to get work. So uh, odds are there, somebody lost their job in New York, they're probably not finding a job in New York. They're probably going to find oh, it somewhere yeah, else. No way. So they're, they're just gone. And another thing I reference in my blog is all the stats that show all of the all of the real estate searches that are happening of people in New York. The percentages of those people, I believe it's 34%, are looking to go elsewhere. And then uh, San Francisco was number two on that, and you know they were just a little bit lower. The point is, all these people who traditionally would have just been moving from one place in New York to a different place in New York, as they say, you know, get a better job, make more money, whatever. That's not what's happening. What's happening is people are just getting the hell out. They're getting the hell out because they don't have a choice. So when those people leave, they're not coming back. And yes, ultimately, I do believe, because you know this is probably what somebody would say in response to that. Well, okay, but that'll be a short-lived thing because, okay, prices crash, real estate prices crash, but at some point it stabilizes. At some point, people start coming back. At some point, this all, you know, it might take years, but at some point it all rebounds eventually. Now, could that happen? Absolutely. Do I think that'll happen? I kind of do. But the point is that uh, these are fundamental shifts that have never happened before. And I'm sorry I didn't make my point as well as I wanted to there about what James said about, you know, this is stuff, there's never been a lockdown of five months. So pe these people had to do something. Oh, and it's not going to stop. I mean, I think, I think, you know, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, I think it's going to get worse into the fall. Oh yeah, I think it's actually I think it's going to get actually a lot worse into the fall and winter, and the arrival of a vaccine is not going to be a silver bullet. It's like it's gonna it's gonna be Maxwell's silver hammer. No, I'm kidding. Well, um, uh, well, no, I completely agree with you, and, and James says that too. He says, you know, the virus, or, or actually, that wasn't James who said this; it was somebody else. But another thing I quoted was somebody saying the virus won't really affect this, and the reason it won't is because the point I'm trying to make and not making it well is that these fundamental things, these unprecedented things, and I don't want to repeat what I just said, but you know, the tech stuff, the fact that people, it's been shut down so long and who knows when it'll fully come back, people have had to get on with their lives. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if, if a city like New York were to lose, say, you know, say two or three or four or 5% of its population, I think it could easily survive that. But, but everything I've read suggests that it's 
10% so far or more, and it's far from done. And so that's that's just a, a massive number. And I think that, you know, did you, did you, oh, you couldn't have, because what I sent you didn't have the link, but there's a video that, that's in the actual blog post that I wasn't able to send you because of the way I sent it to you. But if you yep. haven't seen this video, dude, you got to watch it. It's two minutes and 24 seconds of somebody just driving through Manhattan with a... Oh, yeah. I, I It's a video posted by James Woods. Correct. And it, uh, you, you talked about it. Yeah. It's a guy driving through Fifth Avenue and it's just empty. And like, you know, I got a whole bunch of videos from, you know, you know, Brendan, uh, Brendan Gay, who's my buddy uh, and who was the co-producer on the TV show. Um, and he still lives in Harlem and he drives up and down or rides his bike around and he'll show me images. And he's like, dude, it's just a ghost town. Like there's hardly anybody around anymore. And I mean, just the combination of the virus, the lockdown, and then finally the riots and oh, yeah, protests and looting. That. I mean, the same thing is, I mean, city of Chicago is the same exact thing. Like I woke up and saw images at three in the morning of that had happened in the city of Chicago, like two weeks ago. I talked about it in James's podcast. I mean, I only recorded that podcast a week ago. That's how fresh this is. Wow. And like, if I was living in the city of Chicago in river North, I would, I would be like, I'm moving out as soon as fucking possible because it, it I mean, it was straight up scary. Like there are, you know, I mean, police were, I mean, not even police, security guards were shooting looters who were attempting to get into like building, like high rise buildings and things like it's, it's crazy. Well, to James, think that that's like James the, referenced that as what put him over the edge. You know, he, James, well, they were trying to break in it. So James yeah. lived in a, I won't give away the location and the building name or anything like that, but James lived in a very famous, well-known building in the upper West side of Manhattan. Uh, so actually the same building Louis CK lived in. Uh, really in that same exact building. Yeah. And, huh. and there was a lot of famous people who live in that building. Like I would walk in to go to James's apartment to hang out or have drinks or do the podcast or go to a party or whatever. And I would run into, I would just see people who I'm like, that guy's famous. That guy's famous. Like, and you know, not to, sometimes actors, sometimes business people, sometimes musicians. Like I think John legend lived in that building for a while. Well, that's unfortunate. Like it's, a, yeah, it's a really, it's a really good, <laughs> did you say that's unfortunate? Yeah. <laughs> as an ass <laughs> anyway the point of it is that like that building is a uh pretty well-known hotbed of pedophilia yeah yeah right <laughs> it's a real uh it's a it's a real yeah it's a, it's a unique location yeah anyway, so people are trying to break into that yeah so people were trying to break into it because it's got gate i mean it has gates it's got like guards and stuff so um, it's Ugh. a pretty seriously secure building in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, but he was like, protesters were trying to break into that building because it's pretty obvious that like well-to-do people live there. Right. James is like, he's not like a you know like a Navy SEAL being like, look, I'm not afraid of anything, but he's not a dude who like spooks easily. But when it comes to him and his kids, he's like, I'm not gonna. There's no yeah, fucking you can't way. Take like, that I'm chance. taking their kids and leaving. You can't take that chance. And yeah, so that's basically what he did, and I think they're down in like Florida right now or something. Yep. But um, well, he was said that he said he, in the in his blog he said he moved to Miami, and the first time he saw the building or the place he moved in was when he moved in. He, he literally had never yep. been there before because yep. they because there was there was nothing of there were three. He said his wife looked at three things. By the time they you know wanted to maybe think about it, they were both gone. Two of the I'm sorry, two of the three were gone. So they were left this with this one option that looked good. They didn't want to risk losing that, so they they committed to it. And the first time they saw it was when they moved in. And he also went on to say, yeah. you know, he hopes to come back, but he really has no idea when that could be. 
Yeah, and I mean that I think that's completely that seems like the general consensus to everybody. Everybody in my office, nobody with the exception of people who already were living in Manhattan or in New York, like nobody is there and nobody knows when they're going to come back. I mean, my boss um, continuously talks about he's like, yeah, we're going to. You know, I think we'll probably be back into the office by like November. And I'm like, no, we fucking won't. Nobody is going to be back into the office, dude. Like just nobody's going to be. And he's he originally was saying this stuff into like April and May. And finally, he's kind of stopped talking about it because I think it's just the truth is that we're all recognizing that there's just it's it's going to be like summer of next year before I think people are really going to start feeling comfortable getting back into normal office environments and between now and then who the hell knows what's going to happen in, you know, major cities with all the civil unrest that's going on. Like, I mean, it, 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 it's truly, uh, mind boggling that like this level of social upheaval has been happening. And I don't think we're going to see the end of it. I think it's going to be a lot worse before it gets better. Um, I think that the election is going to be insane. I don't even want to talk about that right now, but I think that it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is going to be. It's going to be nuts between now and the end of the year and and January, no matter what happens. And I, I think that that's going to cause even more problems. Yeah. You and know? so yeah, I agree. And, and, and to quote James again, he says this, and it dovetails well with what you just said. Businesses are remote and they aren't returning to the office and it's a death spiral. The longer offices remain empty, the longer they will remain empty. In 2005, a hedge fund manager was visiting my office and said, in Manhattan, you practically trip over opportunities in the street. Now the streets are empty. So the key thing I wanted to say there or repeat from James is the death spiral part that the longer this goes on, the worse it will ultimately be because the longer it goes on, the more entrenched People will become in whatever it is they're doing in the interim, whether that's, you know, oh, I'm going to I'm going to move out of the city, you know, for a couple of months. Well, a couple of months becomes a year, becomes 18 months yeah. or whatever and, it and is. How many of these people? But here's the other thing, man. And I think this is what could end up being good for America. We talked about this previously is that's actually that's actually a positive thing. It could be. Like, I think that. I think that the city of New York will, like James says, he, he thinks like it's always going to be significant. I think that, you know, I'm still thinking about going back. I'm, I want to get an apartment while they're cheap and good because that's going to be the center of comedy still. I don't think the center of comedy is going to move to Miami. I don't think the center of comedy is going to move to Dallas. I don't think the center of comedy is going to move to any of these other cities around the United States. It's going to be Los Angeles. It's going to be New York. I think it'll still be New York. Um, but... I think a lot of these other people moving out of the city and getting embedded in the other communities that they're involved with will actually ultimately be beneficial because that concentration of wealth was actually unhealthy for this country. Part of the I reason agree. that I agree. part of the reason that the inequality in this country has gotten to the point that it's gotten to is that the people who hold the power to distribute capital and use it to benefit uh, and build businesses, they're not malicious people who have been you know, uh, just miserly, like hoarding all of this capital and opportunity around themselves. It's just because those are the groups they run in. Those are the people they talk to. Those are the opportunities they see. But if you go down to Houston, Dallas, um, Cincinnati, I mean like whatever, wherever these people end up going out of the city of New York, 
they're going to find opportunities to they're going to talk with local people. They're going to meet them somehow. It's going to happen over a year period of time. And they're going to end up finding opportunities that they can invest in around those areas. And that will hopefully begin to build out some of America's forgotten interior infrastructure and and in in business because it's been dead over the last 40 years because of this concentration in these hyper connected hyper capital driven communities like Manhattan. Yeah, I I don't know that I agree with the severity of what you just said, but I absolutely agree with the the general concept of it. I think your view is a little more extreme than mine, but I would completely agree with you in terms of yes, there's absolutely probably an unhealthy concentration of stuff in a couple of places in America that would benefit more people if there was more of a, you know, distribution or diversification of of things like what I, this 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 is uh, I find this interesting because this takes us takes us me and you back to how many different conversations have we had over the years just the two of us about you telling me or me telling you well but the only opportunities in comedy really are New York or LA yep because oh, that man, that has fun. been such a a theme a constant theme in your life you know since you know, since I can recall us ever talking about such things, it was, you know, I'm living in Chicago. I love Chicago. It's an awesome city. However, you know, e- even though I'm like hardwired and really deeply embedded in the comedy scene here, the comedy scene here is just nothing. I mean, you'd think in a place like Chicago, there, there would be a comedy scene. But according yep. to you, and I absolutely believe you, it's it's just, it. there really isn't. It's sort well, of like there, there, there is. So, so hold on. I just want to, I just want to temper that for a second because I want to be clear about it. Um, the there is a comedy scene. There are comedy scenes in other cities, and I mean, pre-pandemic, there were comedy scenes in other American cities that were very active and had a lot of people, but nobody made any fucking money, and there was no, la- there was no ladder to climb that allowed you to make a career doing it. I mean, like the people in Chicago who were the most successful comics made, you know, on the order of like 40K a year doing comedy, which is like not that much money. I mean, it's enough to not starve to death, but it's not, it's not really, you know, it's not money you can have a future or raise a family on. Right. And And so, yeah. And, And to be honest with you, I think you just, you just reinforced my point because To me, when I say there's no comedy scene, what I and maybe it's on me for not being more specific. There's no comedy scene. There's no professional comedy scene. There's no there's no career in comedy in really any cities but New York and L.A. And I think that correct. I think that is unhealthy in a way. I don't blame anybody for it. Just like you said, there's nothing malicious about it. This is the kind of thing that just evolves over time. You know, there's just things just happen the way they happen for reasons that nobody can necessarily even explain. It just, you know, this key player was there, then this key player and, you know, Hollywood's right there or whatever, you know, it just happens. But if something like Corona could force a breakup of that, this is almost like a anti-monopoly, you know, like a, 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 a trust busting. Exactly. Yeah, It's like trust busting. antitrust. Yeah. That's the term I was looking for. It's like an antitrust of all these different things that are being kind of exploded and thrown out across the universe or the country and reforming, you know, ultimately in other places. And, and actually it's kind of exciting. I mean, it is long, like as for me personally, you know, I live in suburban Detroit. I've probably been affected 
among the least of anyone in America. I really think that, you know, because my, my job, I sell real estate, I own a real estate company. And believe it or not, our business is booming right now. It's crazy. I can't believe it, how strong it is. Every Just a couple of days ago, I showed a, a beautiful uh, condo that hit the market to some clients and it it had multiple offers within an hour. And and these aren't mm. this is not low end. This is expensive stuff. And the first mm. listing I had it was sort of after you know we were in lockdown for a couple of months, the first listing I had coming out of that was a $979,000 listing. We had about six offers in 3 days, sold for over a million. So wow. it's it's like I, and I keep I keep where, where 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 are these people moving from? Just if you don't mind locally me. to local, local to local. It's just people moving okay, from one it. local town to a different local town. Um, got it. Huh. But uh, but you know, I every every time I, I talk to anybody in the in the business, you know, in the last like say couple of months, the conversation is always the same. It is, can you you know, aren't you shocked? Like, aren't you shocked that that things are moving the way that they're moving? It's like, is, is nobody worried about any of this shit? And you know, I, I just I'm just thankful. It's like, thank God that it's like this because. I just did not think it was going to be. I truly thought that people would be paralyzed with fear. Like, oh, I'm going to lose my job and I don't want to take any chances. And and on the contrary, it's I feel that people are like, well, first of all, you know, interest rates are stupid low. So that's that's a, the first thing is that, you know, if you can borrow money almost for free, which it almost is, that certainly helps. But still, people have to have a certain level of confidence to make that, you know, those kinds of decisions. And I mean, it just... It just feels it just feels crazily normal, and, and actually, it doesn't feel normal. It feels better than normal. So my point in all that is simply, I haven't been affected much by this. So for me to look at this, I see a lot of positives in it. You know, I I, I agree with you that you know, so to have maybe uh, some a comedy scene evolve in some in a couple of other places would be cool. That'd be awesome. Mm. Um, but but. You know, the point we were really addressing and discussing here and now on this podcast, what James wrote about, what I wrote about is, you know, the future of a handful of major American cities. Number one, New York. Number two, San Francisco. Number tie, number three, Chicago, L.A., as I see it. You know, will those mm -hmm. cities be permanently impaired? And I think it's possible. That was James's whole point. You know, and again, to think, yep. going back to how we started this is, you know, Glenn Beck's reading it. What's Glenn Beck's audience? I'm not, a, I literally have never listened to Glenn Beck, but I absolutely know who he is. So, I mean, I know he has a yep. major audience. And just the, the fact that I've run into this post on Facebook randomly as many times. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was, this, this post he wrote really resonated with a lot of people. And as you said, before we started recording, this whole thing you were talking to James's wife whenever that was today or whenever about it's just earlier yeah uh, about how this has blown up and how it's taken on a life of its own and you know I think that's because of probably because of James being who James is I mean in my view James is sort of like he's on that he's at that celebrity level just below the level of a household name that's, oh yeah that's my perception yeah. of him like in certain circles he is a household name but you know for the greater American culture he's not. But he's just below that, so I think he has a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, cachet, a lot of pull, a lot of reputation. And even if you don't even know who the guy is, if you just read that post and read what he says, it's like, my gosh, this guy, you know, he's a he's a native New Yorker. He loves New York. He doesn't want to say any of the things he's saying. 
He's just saying it because he, it's what he really believes. And I respect the hell out of him for doing that because, I mean, the guy co-owns a freaking comedy club. So it's like, to, oh, yeah. I thought like, yeah. you know, this is the most- un- Classic New York comedy club. Well, and it's just like, it, it, if I owned a business in New York and I felt the way that James felt, I wouldn't have written that post because it'd be like, I don't want to write anything. I don't want to contribute in any way, shape or form. To New yeah, York, to this prognosis. Yes, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna say just the opposite. I'm gonna lie. I'm gonna say all kind of. Oh, people say the city is not coming back. That's bullshit. Here's why it's fine. He did just the opposite, and I respect the hell out of him for that. And I think that's why this thing has taken on the life that it has. And uh, you know, I, I tip my hat to him just as a human being for having that level yeah. of of integrity because it's not like he's gonna make money off this blog post. You know, so. I think he just did it because it was what was in his heart. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's what he, I mean, that's what he said when we, you know, when we talked about it, I think also, uh, he, you know, he just, I think the next thing that's going to happen here for him is that I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to be on CNBC talking about this for a minute, uh, probably related to like New York real estate or something. And then he'll probably be on, I wouldn't be surprised if he was on Fox about this. Like I could see Oh yeah, Tucker, Tucker Carlson talking to him about this. Oh yeah, I agree. Because it'll be like, hey, James, you're, you're a native New Yorker. You own businesses in New York. You, you know, why would you say this about your city? And yep. then he'll, I, mean, I hope that happens. <laughs> he's been nothing but kind to me and uh, he's just such a good dude. I mean, we were on his, I was on his podcast this week and he, what you guys talking, talking about? about the, the, well, talked about the power Bible, which I just published with William Petit and that book is out. It's on Amazon right now. Uh, I would encourage the listeners to go check it out. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's cool. The, the audio book will be out later this month, but both print and ebook are available and it's, it's selling a lot. People really like it actually. Um, James loves it. He's read it three times. He sent it to a bunch of his friends. I mean, that's how much he really likes this book. And awesome. I mean, he wrote the forward for it. That's how much he likes it. So, uh, he also included he's including a chapter. So this is great. The fact that he's blown up this much is great for me because he's included a chapter of our book in his next book, which is coming out this uh, winter, this later this fall and into like early winter time. So, awesome. you know, I mean, he's he's getting a lot of attention for a lot of this. So it could be very good for us. I mean, selfishly, that's exciting for me because that, you know, we're we're in the splash zone for right. him. For him right, because we, this, cause we always got to bring this back to you if we can. I know, if possible, <laughs> at all possible. But the the point that I'm making though is that like he's been nothing but kind, and um, it's good to see that his you know his his just candid thoughts about things can get so much attention. Yeah, um, it's awesome. He's kind of inspiring in this way because you're exactly right. Like he could have written something being like, "No way, it's coming back. New York is great," and try to push this like a self-serving agenda. And instead he was yep. just like, Nope, like my businesses are fucked. Like here's the, <laughs> I'm here's leaving. The truth. I'm gone. People <laughs> tried to break into my building. Yeah, exactly. I left. I was so scared. I got a place sight unseen. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what he did. He's just such a good dude for writing this shit. Yep. No, I'm, I, uh, like I said, I was just, it was so cool for me just to, to see that he wrote that thing. And then I, you know, I felt like I had some connection to him through you and also just because, again, selfishly, knowing that we would ultimately talk about this on a podcast as we're doing right now. And because I, I had been thinking about writing a post like he wrote, I just don't have the perspective that he has. You know, I don't live in New mm. York. So 
he just gave me the the perfect starting point to you know all I did was took take his words and add add mine to that. Uh, but 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 I think this is truly one of the most you know we haven't said this so far sort of been implicit but I think I just want to say it you know for the record I just think this could end up being and when I say this I'm referring to the American major American cities being on life support and what will ultimately happen with that and by the way I it's funny because I came up with that language life support on my own but as I did re- the research that I did which I've spent like a week doing I've spent a, a ton of time just reading stuff uh, yep. a bunch of other people use that exact same language of life mm. support life support and then oh another thing you know I said this earlier in, in this podcast I quoted James when he said death spiral that was another yep. term that I encountered in multiple places within this this exact context people talking about de- the death spiral of the economics the population, you know, the depopulation, people leaving, you know, it's just like once that momentum gets started in a certain direction, it tends to compound when people think like, oh my gosh, people, like James said it himself, there were, he referenced three different waves of people leaving. Like there was, you know, people who said, people leaving New York in response to COVID-19 specifically, he said, there was a first group that left saying, oh, we'll be gone just for until this blows over. Then there was a second group that left. I don't recall what the specific language he used for them was. And then the third was just like, this isn't getting any better. I'm getting the hell out before the bottom falls out. And then he went on to say, oh, yeah. And then he went on to say they may have been too late. And that's when he referenced like how, you know, rents rents are just crashing in New York and spiking in other cities where, where people are going. So, you know, there's a lot of hard evidence in support of this, all of this. It really is unprecedented, and these are really, you know, it's like uh, these times are so. I'm and I'm so sick of saying unprecedented because I just said it, but I don't have a better yeah. word. It's the only word that really that fits. Was, there's a drinking game. There's a drinking game that I I talk about where I'm like every time you had to take a shot every time you hear someone say in these unprecedented times. Yeah, you told me that before. <laughs> you're right, and you're that would be a, a great drinking game because everyone would be drunk very quickly. Yeah, everybody be smashed all the time. <laughs> which is which is the goal of every drinking game, of course. Well, um, you know, congratulations on the uh, or the release of your new book. That's awesome. The congratulations on the fact that James wrote the foreword. Congratulations on the fact that he's going to include a chapter from that book in his next book. Which that's incredible. That's fan- I mean, dude, that's fantastic. And uh, yeah. it's just fortuitous for us here, selfishly in this podcast, that you know his. His thing is blown up right when we wanted to talk about this topic, and we can sort of leverage that just a little. Uh, Try to ride his wave a little bit. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. Ride the coattails whenever you can. That's what I always say. Anything you want to add at uh, the end of this? Yeah, I would just say check out uh, – well, what we need to do is have a whole episode talking about the Power Bible and the journey that that's been leading up to. Haven't we it's, talked enough about you? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but it's like a – it's it's been crazy. It's been crazy. I mean, we don't have to talk about it. I guess. I'm but kidding. I thought you would find no, it I'm kidding. I'm, dude, I'm kidding. Dude, I'm kidding. Dude, I'm kidding. Dude, I'm kidding. Of course, of course, I want to talk about that. I'm just giving you shit. So yeah, let's do it's, that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's been such a slog, man. I mean, I uh, just the 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 sheer number. It's another example of like the sheer number of things that you have to do to get something done. It's kind of unbelievable. It's been two years in the making. That 
particular. Wow. Uh, you and you yeah, and Bill. Particular thing. Where is Bill? Is he still in Paris? Bill's. Uh, he's actually in New York. He's. Um, yeah, is he? He's in. Uh, he's. He's in the city. He's uh, bu- buying a place in Brooklyn. Yeah, you so mentioned that. It's actually funny because James Altucher may write. James and I. You know, Bill and I pitched James a, an article where we went. Now that this article is blowing up, you should write a sequel, which is like maybe where the opportunity is in New York or here's why New York might come back or like whatever. And James was like, actually, it's not a bad idea, but I think I'm going to wait until this article plays out. (laughs) Yeah, I think that would kind of undercut both of those things. If he's like, hey, you know, last week I told you that this city was dead forever. Well, hey, check out my new book in which I tell you the city's coming roaring back and here are the opportunities. So like there could very well be the opportunity for a New York to come back in the next couple of years that is going to be you know, in the same way that just to back up, like not in a as severe a way, but in a similar fashion to like basically what um, Detroit has done. Like it's become really artistic. There's lots of cool joints downtown. There's like tons of places to hang out. It's a really cool city. And New York, I think, got to a point where it was like swamped over itself and it kind of need a lot of that just needed to clear out. So, so anyway, headline, that's a whole headline, headline from this podcast. Brendan Lemon, colon, one day, maybe New York can be another Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be that would be hilarious. I think I might do that. That's, that's what I'm gonna call that's what I'm gonna call this podcast. Brendan Lemon, one day New York can become another Detroit. Even so, New York can become like become the next Detroit. Well, that's hilarious. Well, here's, that is so funny. Here's what's even crazy, I, crazier, ironic, is that I, as I referenced earlier in this conversation, I sent you a, uh, you had not seen this blog post that I wrote before today. I, I copied and pasted it right off of the draft that I've been working on. And, and because of the way I sent it to you, it didn't include several videos that I reference in the blog post. They're just blank spots on the draft you received. One of those videos that you did not receive when you when you actually look at the blog post that's published you know how when you when you have a video that's embedded in a page it has something you know the a thumbnail that it shows you what the video is whatever the author of the video decided to choose for the thumbnail for the video mm-hmm. and one of the videos is called turning seattle into detroit <laughs> that's the title of the video so so we can add your turning New York into Detroit, and suddenly it all becomes just about becoming who's going to be the next Detroit. Well, there are fates worse than that. There are, but yeah, I I don't know that that would be thing something that many would want to. Yeah, not a lot of people are really excited to be the next Detroit. Not reading that (laughs) shit. New York can be the next Detroit. (laughs) Maybe someday, if things go their way, New York can be another Detroit. Brendan Lemon, (laughs) if they play their cards right. Hey, hey, man! They, I mean, they, 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 they elected the, a Democrat, so they're already, <laughs> they're already in that direction. Uh, uh, did, the biggest laughs. Did I ever tell you this this joke? We can, we'll wind up on this. Another one of Brendan's shitty jokes is what we're gonna wind up on. But I, uh, I had a joke that would just get so many laughs outside the city if I was doing road comedy. And the joke was me talking about trying to rent an apartment in New York and how big of a nightmare that was, and. 
it, the the joke was basically you can't rent an apartment. You have to get an agent. Then the our agent shows you the apartment. Then the agent rents the apartment for you, and you have to pay this agent an inordinate amount of money. And there's all this like legal contractual stuff that like if if you saw the apartment, but the agent told you about the apartment, then they technically you have to pay the agent. And this entire Byzantine system exists because New York is run by Democrats. And that's the punchline, is that this Byzantine system exists because New York is run by Democrats. Outside the city, when I end up saying that, people lose it. They think that's so funny. Right. Because they're like, oh, he's so frustrated, and of course this is because New York is run by Democrats. He can't fucking stand it. If I say that inside the city, people like look at me with blank stares like, what's your point? Yeah, exactly. What's the issue? Like, What are you trying to say? It. I don't get yeah. it. Yeah, and it's like the... Outside the city, people are like, oh, my God, that's so funny because, of course, that exists because Democrats run the city. Like if Republicans ran the city, you could just rent the fucking apartment. Right. And that doesn't everyone that, know that that makes sense. <laughs> just, just, say that again. Doesn't everyone know that? Well, apparently inside the city, they don't get the joke. No, they so. don't. They don't. They don't. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, uh, all right. Well, uh, anyway, this has been a good episode of Onkview. And it, well, we'll let the people decide that, but let's hope so. And uh, when you when you talk to James next, please let him know that uh, how much I, I and obviously so many other people enjoyed his post and look forward to many more from him. And congratulations oh, yeah, uh, on your I'll, new book. I'll let him know for sure. Congratulations on your new book. Thank you so much, man. Uh, you should, uh, should should check it out. Go go. Uh, Why don't you send me a check copy, it out, you cheap in, uh... bastard. <laughs> All right, we're signing off, people. On that note, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. We out.